You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Hit me! When the four corners of this cocoon collide You'll slip through the cracks hoping that you'll survive Gather your way, take a deep look inside Are you really who they idolize? To camp for butterflies At first I did love you Right, that's right. Had to come back with a bang. Sometimes you don't get the intro music. It's the X-Men. It's your boy, Doc Coyle. I'm back. Your boy's back. It's been a month. My apologies. It's how it goes sometimes. It's been a uh, it's been a crazy time. Uh, usually when I have a gap in 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 shows, I'll you know I'll post on social media. God, I'm sorry I got a show coming. I didn't even do that this time. You know, I think I I came to a, re- a revelation that Maybe, you know, just the show sometimes, it's just, there's going to be gaps. And unfortunately, the music career is just going to take precedence sometimes. So, and I was actually thinking about, I was like, you know what? Maybe sometimes if there's some distance, you know, it, it's it's about the quality, not the quantity. And, you know, and, and making sure I'm talking to the people I want to talk to and have the conversations I want to have to and have it not feel like a job. And if, I know sometimes that can hurt the you know the audience you know it's definitely like the more consistently i'm doing the show the bigger it gets but it is what it is anyway i just came back from europe with uh, this is the reason why i've <laughs> i've had a show out a show out is uh, i was in europe with five finger death punch and megadeth doing this arena tour it was incredible you know every show you know playing in front of five ten fifteen um actually no like twelve thousand i think that was like the top <laughs> the top shows are, were kind of around there but it was a lot of people and uh yeah it was it was absolutely tremendous you know megadeth i watch megadeth every day i'm about to post some videos i actually got to hang out with uh dave mustaine a couple times it was you know he's a very intimidating guy and and i'm such a huge fan i you know i hate bothering people but it was cool to get some FaceTime, and he was he was really nice to me and friends with some of the other guys and i was trying to get them on the show but schedules and stuff it just kind of didn't work out so i'm gonna get uh hopefully i'm gonna get dirk the drummer uh, at some point in the next few weeks. And, uh, you know, I was trying to get something out some five fingers. It just didn't work out. I had someone cancel on me. And, you know, but anyway, the tour was amazing. Europe, beautiful. We got to actually see some things, have some days off. And uh, I, every time I go back, I appreciate it more and more. And then the tour ended like a week ago. 
And I immediately had to go into rehearsal jam mode because I'm doing another gig with the wedding band, which is the cover band I do with Rob and Kirk from Metallica. And it also features Whitfield Crane, the singer from Ugly Kid Joe, and and the, this drummer, John Theodore, who plays in Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, we had a different drummer, Joey Castillo, last time, and this time with, with John Theodore, who I guess is the main drummer. So I had to review like 15 songs and learn five more, and your boy just ain't had any time to breathe. <laughs> so I have today and tomorrow before I fly to South Carolina, do a bunch of rehearsals there. Um, and it's been a whirlwind, but it's been a blast. And uh, and I'm like I said, I always feel bad when I when I don't get the shows out as much as I'd like to. But you know, life intercedes. A lot's been going on since I've been gone. Uh, coronavirus taking over. Are you sick? Are you doing all right? You know, I don't I don't want to you know be the guy to uh, give you the information, but definitely you know do your research. It's it's a weird thing because I've been reading about it and learning about it, and it's serious. But you want you but you don't want to panic, but you want to take it seriously, and you kind of want to. Uh, kind of stay somewhere in the, in the middle of things. Definitely something to be concerned about. Uh, I wish that everyone's healthy and, you know, is careful. I'm like I said, I'm not here to deliver news. Just follow, you know, the surgeon general and the CDC and all that stuff. Take care of yourselves. Um, we just came back from like we're in Milan and apparently just got, it just hit there and it's scary stuff. Uh, we got the presidential election that's ramping up. I just voted today. And so I'm gonna tell you who I voted for. No, I'm not. Fuck y'all. Tell you who I voted for. Doc Coyle's not here to espouse uh, broad political opinions. I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll, you know I'll, I'm not afraid to, to speak freely, but uh, I don't want this show to be an advocacy uh, platform. It's not what, 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 what I'm about. But um, one thing I actually want to, I, I do want to talk about is, is, you know, if you're someone invested kind of in the Democratic side, for example, one thing I would implore is try to... to no matter who your your person is, try to at least jibe a little bit with people who s- see things a little bit differently than you. I think it'll, you know, there's some people who, I think no matter who gets the nomination, it's going to be uh, contentious. And I think people are going to be disappointed and feel like whoever gets it, that it's the end of America or it's it's a catastrophe. And it, it ain't really any different than, it, than it's ever been. They're just, they're just candidates. They're all imperfect um, there's every single one you can find something you don't like or some scandal or some policy that you think will, you know, <laughs> apparently everything we do now is going to be Nazi Germany, right? No matter who gets elected, we're just going to be Nazi Germany. So, you know, I don't think it'll be that. Let's hope. Let's cross our fingers. Um, you don't try. I think, and I've noticed like with the, uh, Twitter and everything, the internet, these things bring the worst out of people, unfortunately, and it, and it gets ugly. So, Try and uh, use your your better self to recognize your fellow man and woman and, uh, you know, try and keep it positive. Anyway, I am rambling. This week, I actually do not have a sponsor, which is good. We can keep it nice and tight. We can move on to the interview. And I'm doing something a little different. Um, You may not. I mean, I'm sure when you see the description, you'll have an idea of who the guest is. But his name is Steve Lagudi, and he's a front of house sound engineer. Uh, live and and studio as well, but he's mostly known for his live stuff. He uh, was the last sound guy that worked for my old band, God forbid, for many years. And eventually, when we broke up, uh, he went on to work for Machine Head, and now he's been Machine Head's guy forever. And you know, 
one of the mission statements of this show, in addition to speaking to ex-members of bands and keeping in with the theme, is to really, you know, tie together the entire story of my old band, which was the inspiration for this show, and learn that story from every angle. So anytime I can find someone who worked for the band, who was in the band, uh, labels, managers, all that stuff, I always try and get them on the show. And Steve is someone I thought would be really interesting for the audience because he know he is so intimately attached to 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 the band and and me personally. Um, and you know he has a just a lot of really interesting things to say. He's he's a pretty open book. You know you should. I think about all the stuff we were talking about before I turned the uh, the mics on that were just as interesting. Uh, but I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this. It was a it was a really you know it's you know we 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 get pretty pretty deep with this, but um but I'm I'm really glad Steve would come on. So I think you guys will really enjoy this. Please check out my conversation with the the awesome Steve Lagudi. It is now 2024. And the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Here we are. We got Steve Lagudi on the X-Man podcast. Hello. Yeah, so 
you are a very in- interesting figure um, in <laughs> in my in my life, and and probably someone who's not very familiar or familiar at all with a lot of the listeners. But um, you are a uh, front of house engineer. That's one of one of many hats. One of one of many things. But you do you know uh, you do studio stuff and recording yep. for for albums and, and stuff. Like you were, you know, people. Steve, Steve was very instrumental in the god forbid album equilibrium and doing the pre-production kind of uh getting all that stuff together but it's it's super important for me to kind of highlight you know people in the background in the you know that work for bands i don't you know i don't know the the proper word you say roadies or or texting guys you know um you know well it's 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 important because one of the things people questions i get asked the most you know people just hit me up on facebook it's like how do I get in the industry? How yeah. do I get on road? How do I get yeah. to work for a band? You know, people they'll hit you. Oh, you need help with this, and um, and it's it's important, you know, for people to have that uh, perspective. But um, I'm trying to remember. It's funny, like I don't even remember meeting you, but like, I do. Where do where did we meet? It was in Long Island? Yeah, it was in Long Island. So I had just gotten back home from Metallica and. So what? So explain this. So you guys were doing the Vision of the Sorter DVD show. There was two shows. There was two nights that they were filming this DVD. Billy Bomba was front of house or VOD. The oh, and he was also so Billy Bomba used to do sound for God forbid as well. Yeah, and I think it was Candiria was like the direct support on a Friday night, and then the Sunday show, which was you guys. Yeah. So. Um, I knew the house audio guy there. I wasn't. Was that really, venue the downtown? No, that was um, Club Ritual. That's oh where, yeah. Oh now. That's I, where. Yeah. Now so, I remember. So I love that place. Yeah, but so the thing was, my buddy was the front of house guy. He couldn't work, so they were worried because that Saturday night was a dance club, and all the DJs were blowing the subwoofers. So it was a DVD shoot. So he basically wanted me to babysit. So Billy didn't really know the Pro Tool shit because I was doing studio stuff. So I was helping him with that. And I ended up having to step in and mix. And one of the direct support bands, like the opener, was a band that I did their demo with. And the guy's like, oh, can I play the drums? And I remember you guys walking through the door that Sunday. And everybody's been there. It's a shithole. And I remember, Corey ended up telling me this. He's like, I couldn't believe how great the drums had sounded because the place sucked. So typical, God forbid, whatever. We had the runner going out for Burger King, ironically, <laughs> not being racist here. So Byron's outside smoking a cigarette, and I had a band back is, in is the Burger day. Is Burger King racist? <laughs> when you go up to a black guy and you say, "Do you want Burger King?" I mean, that could be taken as a racist thing in Long Island, but really, the, I didn't. I, the way I, I didn't look know at this. it, chicken, but, I can um, see. <laughs> yeah, true. So my band loved God forbid. My singer had introduced me to you guys into this whole that Northeast thing, Bloodsman shit, Kill Switch, all that shit. So I knew who you guys were. So I go up to Byron's outside smoking a cigarette. I'm like, hey, we got the runner going. Some food, you want something? He pulls out the rabbit ears. I got no money. And I was like, dude, I got you. <laughs> and then he's like, yo, so who do you work for? I was like, oh yeah, you know, I like work for Metallica. And he's like, word. And I was like, yeah. So he took my number. And then asked me if I'd ever be interested in going out with you guys. And then you called me, I think like six months later. We had a, a week of shows. There was like Indiana or whatever. It was yeah, a festival. Well, I, I remember the first show was in Nashville. Yeah, something at, like that. At this, at uh, what's that name of that? The anyway, little, li- yeah. little, little tiny room. But I remember it was because we because we had been with with Billy. 
yeah. uh, as our sound guy for a long time. And I don't really remember like how he ended up kind of getting out of the picture. Actually, I think he started working for like Azalea Dying or, or some, some things. Something but, had But anyway, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, when you're a band that has people you trust and you've been with for a while and then you have someone new, it's always, it's always like right. there's a growing period. Absolutely. in your Because you're like, is this person going to do right by us? Do they have the skill they set? And I remember that that day, like, I think the, our line check was like 35 minutes. And we were like, what the fuck is going on with this dude? We, yeah, there was issues. <laughs> well, it was, like, it, was, it was the first day and there's a lot of growing pains but i was like yeah I'm like are we sure about this guy <laughs> you know at, at at first but uh but i think it was with your brother on the way back because that's what it was me and him were in the back talking about live stuff and then the studio shit and that's how it all had happened like you guys were like oh you want to come out and do our pre-production <laughs> and me the typical steve Laguti that i am i'm not just going to show up with a couple of mics under you know in a little interface no we brought the whole van with a studio and turned beaker's house into a whole fucking recording studio yeah um but look, actually but before know. we go with that let's yeah i want to talk about uh this whole metallica situation so what did you do with, with for metallica yesterday actually was the 24th year anniversary since like the first show that i kind of dare i say worked um always was a big fucking super fan of metallica always showing up at the shows and then this guy nicholas who was the guy that started the met on tour shit like when the metallica.com well, like basically when the internet was coming out basically he was the guy with all the super fans and stuff and i was always around and that's what it was it was like hey you know do you want to work like you know the met club booth and talking to the other metallica fans and and I was like, fuck yeah, man. So it was it was cool. Now, was this when you were in New York or you were in San Francisco? Yeah, I was in New York at this point. Um, Jesus. But I was always going to shows, dude, from 14 years old, cutting out of school and shit. So they were my life. They were everything. So to kind of be asked to do that, that was the taste of the, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And then one day, Lars wanted like a show recorded from front of house with like a, a copy of the set list and a stopwatch so we knew how much time to change songs out in the set so i was looking down at big mick who's their front of house guy and i'm waiting for him to roll the intro so we could hit record on this camera and a tripod and i'm like that looks really fucking cool and i just started getting closer and then nudging him what's that button do what's this button do and so you didn't really know sound at this point. i had no fucking clue i'm a control freak but i just knew that like to me that was the picture in my head of like how bands should be sounding and like because that's all i listened to that was everything so that was the road that i wanted to go down and then just kind of when jason quit metallica there was that time this is in 2000 and i was like all right i'm gonna start a band and then i had my own studio and you're a bass player yeah bass player all that even bought one of jason's bases and stuff and and it's pretty fucking cool and that's what ended up happening. I was working in recording studios, had no idea. And I said, fucking, I'm going to do it myself. Like kind of follow Metallica. They had their own trip going. They did everything internally. And then two bands down the hall from us. This is in Queens, New York. And this band, Enwell, and this other band, Amur. Yeah. You know, hey, here's 500 bucks. Record our demos. So within that two-week period, I did their shit. And then I remember, I think it was, it was, it was a mirror. Like we finished, like after like three days being up, just recording these five songs and we're printing DVD, uh, CDs to hand out. They're like, yeah, we're going to play Bob's Bar tonight. Like we want you to come because 
I was making the kick drum all clicky sounding and I had no fucking clue. I'm just turning knobs and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll take your money, you know, so I can fuck your shit up before I record my band stuff. So I was like, this is cool. Um, and that's really what it was. Is it was just go from the studio, go down to the club and do it. And, and you never, did you ever go to school? No. Wow. I had no fucking clue. Were you like reading books on no. stuff or? I had internet? a sound in my head. Yeah. Like that was really it. It was like, fuck, how do I get this to sound like that? And they're just trial and error, man. It's that's, just that's like pretty when, rare. It is rare because it's weird now because I kind of had to go back and really learn everything backwards. And I yeah. go, oh, that's why I do that. Yeah, I feel like that way with guitar when I when I finally started teaching at uh, School of Rock and Guitar Center, and I had to like pick up the book. I was like, oh, okay, that's a yeah, that's an A minor. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just didn't get it, and just intuitively you were doing these things over time and. Like, oh, that made those aha moments. There was a lot of those. Yeah. And I think that's lucky for me because I didn't learn from that type of school of education. Oh, this is how you get gain and do this and that. I was just like, no, this is how I do stuff. And this yeah. sounds good. That's all that matters to me. So did you get on the road with Metallica? Yeah. Yeah. And what was your your job on the road? It's still basically the fan, fan club, club liaison. But you never doing like sound or anything? No. Well, there was like one time I remember Mick kind of just moving out of the way and I'm moving the VCAs, which are basically just like faders that control a bunch of stuff. So I was doing like a, the best was a delay throw for sad, but true. Oh yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's it. So if you listen to my mix, you'll notice there's a bunch of that shit. Um, but yeah, you know, things like that and helping techs and stuff and kind of getting your hands in, involved and, you know, taping down set list or it just, I mean, just to be out on the road with your favorite band. I mean, I wasn't making money. I didn't give a shit. That was like the greatest vacation ever was like, I kept quitting real career jobs to go out on tour with Metallica and that money didn't matter to me, dude. And, and how long, how long were you out with him? Eight years. Holy shit. Yeah. That's nuts. That's weird. So, so, <laughs> so when we met, which I guess was 2008 or 2009, six. It, was, it was six or seven. It was around that time. Oh, Jesus. Why? It's been a long time. You guys just, I think, had Constitution out. Because uh, we did 07, I think, was when we went out and actually did the tours. Yeah. So, it's so funny. Like, I'm, for some reason, I, I, I totally think about, you know, that, that period, you know, cause we were working on, um, you know, earth's blood, yeah. you know, and we, and we were doing like really rough kind of demos. Like it yes. wasn't, it wasn't very, uh, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't very in depth. And then, you know, the tour started and we were in Europe and then Dallas quit and it was yep. like the whole fallout from, from that. I yep. mean, so, you know, so we were really the first band that you went out as a front of house engineer for like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what I mean, it's it's kind of funny. It's weird. Well, no, it's 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 funny to me because you know you're one of the people that I guess at that point you were almost like the sixth member of the band. You know, yeah. you you were really an extension of what we were doing. But what did you kind of? Because you were kind of there. I think in in many ways for the period of the band's career where things were kind of on the down swing. Yeah, but know? I. But even still with every band today, it's like, I still see the potential. If I, yeah. if I don't, if, if I feel that there's not something the band can still have or bring to the table, I'm not going to force it. Yeah. But you guys were all talented and I'm not saying that because I'm sitting here. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't sugarcoat it. I tell it like it is. I mean, yeah. It's like one thing that everybody loves. 
Loves and hates. I knew, <laughs> I, but I knew you guys still had this yeah. ability. I mean, yeah, Dallas had his ups and downs. I mean, there's that family dynamic between you and him, like the the whole nigger head back and forth. I mean, entertainment, pure, purest entertainment By the way, we, ever. We, 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 we have to make a little a little caveat there because people are probably going to be like, what, what, what the hell is dude talking about? This is, that's just how we, we would we would talk back then. This is new cancel culture. Watch the, Divi, the, the DVD, man. It just explains everything. Like just how you guys work. But that's what I love. That's what about we would call you. each other. It was totally. Head. It was, <laughs> you guys were the realest ever. Yeah. Like you guys were the same off stage as on stage. And that to me, again, brings it back to Metallica. It was yeah. like, they're the, the guys in jeans and t-shirts just getting up and playing. And you guys were the same way. I love the fact that you guys were black. So you guys were different. You had to work harder. You know, that's like when people ask me like, oh, girls in the music. Industry. Fuck. Yeah. I love girls in the music industry. It's a male dominated fucking market. So just think about how good they got to be to stand out amongst all of that. Yeah. To you, you guys were the same like a black fucking fronted singer of a heavy metal band that's unheard of you know like or it's a no-no you can't do that and i love that you guys yeah. had to drive the fire and of course you guys came into my musical career from when i had a band so i knew what you guys were about at that point and it was, again it's an honor to be a part of things like that yeah so to push you guys and i get to sit out there every night and fucking mix that shit and that's to me, that's the coolest fucking thing in the world. What did you feel like, um, you know, getting just to be the front of house engineer and kind of learn that aspect of it? I mean, what was, I mean, how challenging and crazy was, was that Very, transformative? Because you guys played shitholes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, like you're saying, people call up and ask, like, how do you get into this? And it's like, how do you learn that? By cutting teeth. I mean, we were never, like all the tours we did, we were never like the headliner really or... We were never the opener, so you, even if you were, we didn't get sound we checks. We did that one really kind of up and down, but mostly down the tour with Death Angel. Yeah. <laughs> but again, was... but it was, I didn't have time to sit there behind a console. It's live. You know, you're not like you're in the studio, but even in the studio, time is money. So you had to get sounds quickly. You had to, you know, walk up and do your thing. And you're on a different PA every day. You're never carrying your own console. Half the fucking channels didn't work most of the times. Yeah. People couldn't plug in an XLR correctly. That's a lot of the stuff that you used to run into. Why things would take so long. Because people are like, how the fuck do you have a job? And I still run into that today. But it forces you to be better with quick thinking on your feet. And yeah. honing your skills. And Well, one day I remember you were... It might have been that first day, but I, I remember I was like, man, we got to give uh, uh, Steve the Grammy for Tom Sounds. Because it was like, I remember him just like, doom, 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 for like yeah. five minutes. I'm like, what the fuck is this motherfucker doing this time? I remember we got what, a show to play. I here. remember what it was. It was the gates weren't working. The guy wouldn't be able to fucking patch everything incorrectly. Gates basically mean like it closes the sound when it's not playing. It keep you know. So all the stuff that you have to plug into the analog console with physical cables, not like today, everything is just digital and it's just there. A lot of times that's what you ran into, man. Kids that just, the house guys that didn't know what the fuck was going on, yeah. you know? So, or you had your own microphones and they couldn't patch it in and the microphones required phantom, but then they realized that their cable that's there for 7,000 years can't pass the phantom power because one of the things, so it was always troubleshooting. That's really what it was. And when we would go tour, dude, I'd walk out the front of the house. What was it, like three minutes? You know, it's like, okay, we're on next, you know. And that's what it was. You had, it was sink or swim. Yeah, it's it forced a, you to be better. It's a different game now. It's so totally. it's, so interesting to me. I remember 
you know, you'd be like a support slot, right? And you'd be direct support or like two out of four or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have a fifth, usually it's normal 15 minute changeover. Yeah. And, you know, it's different every day. You don't have a monitor guy, you know, and you'd be like, monitor guy, hey man, throw a little kick here. Throw, you'd have to just like tell them or like give them a sheet. Yeah. And it would just be fucking weird. And it's like now it's like everything is saved and everything. You know, I'm, I'm back there. I've got a monitor, you know, I can do my in-ears with like a, an, an iPhone. app, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty bugged Technology out how quickly it helped, changed. For sure. You know. Absolutely. And being going through that as an old school guy through that transition, it's, it's great. Like, but I'm still, but, but truth be told with me, I'm still, my real philosophy and mindset is old school. Like I, I'm always going to feel more comfortable just in, like, even like doing this, this jam, like the wedding band, you know, just to be that, it's like standard tuning yeah. in a room, no <laughs> click, no, you know, no in human. Yeah, it's just it's just something that just feels better. It just because that's where you came from. Yeah. Well, I just I mean that's yeah. I mean you spend however many years yeah. cultivating. You know that's one of the things I I kind of look back romantically about my time and God forbid is every record we made we got in a room mm-hmm. even if even if the the ideas maybe germinated on a four track yeah. or. You know, on a you know, in the, in the last album, we started kind of working a little more with technology and um, GarageBand and and Logic and things like that. Ultimately, we would take that idea and get in a room. You know, mm-hmm. it's like with like for example, Matt Wicklin songs. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, guy. He would tab everything out totally. and he'd work in in Logic. But it's like, no, nah, no, nah, let's get in the room, let's jam it, and we'd always discover things that maybe worked on a computer but didn't work. Live. Absolutely. You know, and it's like, oh, well, let's try this. This sounds more powerful. Hey, what do you, th-? you know, or it's like, hey, man, we wrote a song through a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus, but yeah, where are we going to go? I don't know. Let's fucking jam and figure something exactly. out. Exactly. That's know? what it is. And also, like, for me, in the room, transitions was always the, the thing that you intuitively, you would find things that could tie parts together a little bit better. Whereas I feel like when you're cutting and pasting, you tend to do just right. that. Just yeah. slam a part on right I, Yeah, into. and you, well, you and I used to bitch about that when we were track. I hated cutting and pasting. It's just like, just play it. You yeah. can do it. Like, you know, it's, sometimes it's like it's quicker and easier to play it. But what I always did when we did all that stuff, like my input, and still to this day, like even with Machine Head, it's, I take, I put the hat of the front of house guy on. Like, how is this going to be live? That's the way I look. Because that's what it is. It's like you're writing a record to go out and tour and play live. Yeah. What drummer? Oh, I could play perfectly to a click. You know what I mean? I, great. If I wanted it to sound robotic, I'd program it. Would need you fucking bothering me? Get away from me! I want the humanness. I like the errors. Like there's no human. Everything is perfect now. It yeah. sucks. It's like well, it's but I, I, sometimes it's great. But I for me for what I like and how I do it with the music that I'm into, I love the natural shit. Like I want the fuck ups. Well, I want to feel a drummer that sounds like them absolutely you know and i feel like there's yeah. there's so much less of that you know like my favorite metal drummer well my favorite drummer is is dave lombardo totally you know and you know if, if you were to take lombardo and like sample him up and uh quantize him up it's like i don't want any part of that <laughs> and you know i don't think he's I'm ever sure, going to do that well, i'm actually, sure companies have tried to reach out to him and do that I, you can't well there's a record a well probably the closest 
of that would probably be Testament the Gathering. The Gathering. That's my favorite Testament record. Yeah. That's, Love that. It's the best. It's just yeah. totally. But I wonder, I'm, I'm sure that's probably the most sampled and cleaned up kind of yeah. thing I could find. But it's still ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, today, like, you know, you got your, like, your Mark Lewis's and your Jason Sukoff's, these guys making, like, all of those easy drummer packs and their yeah. sounds and stuff or the MIDI things and stuff. And I'm sure everybody has tried to get Lombardo. Yeah. And I don't think he would ever do I don't know him like that, but I'm like, I don't, you can't put that guy in a box. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? You get Dave Lombardo, Dave Lombardo that day, you know, and we've toured with them, uh, you know, many times and stuff. When we did that Mayhem Festival, Mayhem, yep. hanging out, watching that guy. I mean, like partying on the bus all night, drinking, doing whatever the hell he's doing, then standing behind the drum kit and he's doing that double bass part in Angel of Death and he's never missing it. And he's just like like a, a walk in the park. Well, Kerry uh, like, King said the difference between Paul Bostaff and Lombardo, he's like, Paul Bostaff, it took him his whole life to get that good. And he's like, yes. Dave Lombardo just was just natural. Yes, I agree. <laughs> like, no disrespect to Paul. I mean, when I've seen them, it, he struggled. It's like he was slightly behind it. It was a little bit more than his ability. Like certain things that were, you know, you were so used to seeing and hearing with Dave Lombardo. Well, this is the first generation of thrash metal people to kind of get to that age. I of mean, course. you know, we're yeah. we're the experiment to see yeah. how long someone can physically play that way. Yes. You know, and to what age. And I'm sure, you know, it depends on whatever you know, physical talent, you know, kind of just mm -hmm. athletic talent, conditioning, diet. Right. Um, you know, I mean, at, right. least, at least with Lombardo, he doesn't, I've seen him with the Misfits. I've seen him with yeah. uh, Suicidal and he seems to not be slowing down at no, all. No, so. but, but that's the thing though. You, you get Dave Lombardo and you get his flavor and his, the way he plays the drums and that works for these things. And again, I'm like, I'm not knocking Paul by any stretch of the means because I respect the fuck out of him. And, but when he does his stuff, like of course he's killing it. That's what he does. That's honestly what I've testament. The best I heard them sound was with Boston. Yes, I like, agree. I was blown well. Away. I don't know because I did Testament's DVD and Gene. Oh my god! Listen, I've seen him with Gene, and I Gene. I mean, maybe you know he's right there with anybody. I mean, you know, he, he can call the Atomic Clock for for nothing. But yes. just the times I've seen him. My favorite has been with with, with Bostaff personally. Right. But uh, anyway, yeah, you know, let's uh pivot a little bit back to, back to what we were talking about. You know, just just being on the road with with God forbid. But you essentially became, like I said, a sixth member yes. of of the band, and really, you know, I would say a savior. You know, because um, you know, because after Dallas quit, um, you know, that was a very tumultuous time in in that. For the first time yeah. ever, really, it was the real question of like, is this band going to be around? Is it, are we going to be a good band anymore? Have we lost kind of the identity? Have we, you know, and, and I remember, you know, and it, and it was a real watershed moment for myself because essentially I had to step up. Yes. You know, I had to, you know, I had to be, you know, essentially take his role as like the secondary vocalist in the band. Um, you know, I, we, we had to do these like four shows that without a second guitar player, which was a real like nerve wracking thing for, yeah. for, for, for myself. And I remember at this, this moment, I basically had, did you see once upon a time in Hollywood? Yes, I did. So there's a, there's a this scene in there at the, right at the beginning of the movie where, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is, is, you know, struggling and he goes, he goes, and, and Brad Pitt just calls me and says, listen. You're Rick fucking Dalton. That's right. right. 
And fucking Steve actually did this to me when we were on Mayhem Fest. He's like, he's like, man, you're gonna be fine. You know why? Because you Doc fucking Coyle. Yeah, that's <laughs> and that's the first time I ever kind of because I think you you know me I'm a pretty naturally humble person. I don't. That's not a humble brag. I mean, literally, like I kind of underplay yes. my own abilities. Uh, yeah, I just feel like, well, I'm I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm I'm fine enough. And sometimes you need someone to kind of hold the mirror up or give you a reflection to... But from somebody you trust. Yeah. Not one of those yes people out there that just kind of... And you know what I'm talking about. Like the people that come up and like the LA thing. Like, oh, you're the best. And then they, you know, they don't think yeah. that. But it was, it was a for me, it, it... Like I said, because those are moments where you say, can I step up? Can I be... Because my brother was such a massive personality. Exactly. And, he was, you know, and, but and not, presence. But, but that's the other thing too. It's like, and that's kind of why the other dudes we kind of step back on this because this wasn't just a band member this is a family member and yeah. you guys growing up together so this was a huge thing for you you know and you're human right there man like those insecurities and those feelings and everything like that it was natural you're going into something completely new now without your literal brother who you were doing all this stuff with over all that time so yeah questioning things was is totally natural but again with my re relationship and role in the band it's like dude you got this we yeah. can do this you have that ability don't don't doubt it for a second well i mean i think a lot like you know and the only people who are intimate with our group of people would would know this is that you know dallas was very kind of abusive yeah. to me you know and i think that it hurt my confidence as a person for a long time and once he kind of left the band, I I kind of kind of came into my own yes, in a did. lot in a lot of ways. I don't think I would be the person now if I that agree. if that if that never I happened, agree. you know. So you know, and I had to kind of yeah, and be because to me it was always like there it's we, it's not me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like like that that mentality of like totally. you know it's it's you know and it's it's interesting because I've kind of like. And that, that went with for the whole band. It wasn't just my yeah, brother. No, it was, it was like, everybody. It was, you know, sure. it, it was what we are doing. You know, and I, I never really saw myself outside of the collective. Yeah. And then when you know, probably before the band broke up, but it was like at a certain point, it's like, all right, you got to take care of yourself. Yes. You know, and and it's it's a kind of like a I, I put it maybe like positive selfishness. You know, it's like it's the idea. I the the, the metaphor I use is like what they tell you on an airplane, like. You put your mask on before then you, you help others. You know, and, I, and that's true. You know, and it's like you can't save him from drowning if you're drowning. Yes. You know, you're and, 100% and right. so I had to figure out that kind of like healthy sense of self. Yeah, but also you got to remember too, all of us, we're still growing up, man. Yeah. You know, we're growing out into the world and like we, you know, like this is all new territory for all of us and this was our lives. So, yeah, we want to protect that. And, you know, like, oh, no, it's like, what's around the corner? Well, you never knew. But I just, again, I believed in the band. And, you know, come on. I mean, there's we could be here for days telling stories. And that's really what it was. Like, it didn't matter about money. I was there for the music, dude. Like, yeah. I loved what I was doing. That made I know, me feel We definitely alive. couldn't pay you. <laughs> no. And, like, that happened on the mayhem. It was, like, some shit went sideways. Hey, oh, we yeah. can't pay I can, you. I got to tell. So, yeah, I got to tell this story. Um, yeah. So, essentially, we were, it was 2009 Mayhem Festival. And we had, we were in the midst of about six months straight after Dallas had quit yeah. 
And everything up until that up until that point had kind of worked out. Yes. Budget wise and and logistic wise. But basically we were in the situation where we were sharing a tour bus with Behemoth Which is on, fun. on Mayhem Festival. <laughs> we weren't being paid I think we might have been being paid five hundred dollars a day on, on Mayhem. Yeah, I don't even know. And had a few off date shows. And uh, we were at the end of our deal with Century Media. Media. So they didn't want to give us any tour support. Um, and so if you're making $500 a day and you don't have tour support, uh, you can't afford to be on a tour bus. No. That's so, barely going to pay the tour yeah. bus. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were involved with a manager at the time who kind of, you know, just, you know, they had, you know, kind of been delinquent in kind of organizing all this. And basically it was like, we were on the tour for maybe like three or four days. Yeah, it was just about the know. first week. And yeah. uh, we just realized that we were just ill-prepared for everything. And <laughs> we were basically told our road crew, we're like, yeah, uh, basically we can't afford to pay anyone. Or, yeah. you know, and um, and the same thing with the, with, with, with the band. And we're like, if you want to go home, uh, you know, we, we have no problem. We will not. We don't. We yeah. will not hold it against you That's at right. all. And everyone st- stayed on. Yeah, uh, I, I remember the way it was. It was like, all right, for you, you stay with us. We stay on this, and then we cut the merch up six ways. Yeah, is that uh, what it was? Yeah. That's exactly okay. what it was. And I was like, fuck yeah, because I'm like, still, again to this day, ups and downs, man. Like I'm not one of those dudes that bail ships for money, and I know a lot of guys are like that. But I was like. I'm on tour. We had catering. All my friends are out here. Like it was the bullet for my Valentine's, the Slayer guy. Like everybody was there. Cannibal Corpse, Behemoth. Yeah. I'm like, this is fucking summer camp. So why the? Where am I gonna go? You're not gonna get a tour. I mean, this is basically July, right? Right on the beginning of that. I think it was end of June or something. So where the fuck was I gonna go? But I'm not gonna leave you guys hanging because this had nothing to do with you. So. I can't bail on my boys. Yeah. No fucking way. So we did it. We had fun, man. There's a lot of good stories from that yeah. summer. It was, a, it was a very bittersweet time for myself because I was kind of, like I said, we had, because of that situation, we split with our manager. Yeah. So we were kind of on our own. We were. The label was gone. We were done with the label. Um, and then I remember I was like, get it. I was, Basically, I was handling the band's merch, so I'd yeah. so I'd have to go at the beginning of the day in the morning. And Robin would help too. and deliver, yeah. but I had to deliver it, right? You know, in like the you know hundred degree weather, and then at the end of the day, go pick it up, and you know she was helping us out. Robin, shout out, shout out, awesome. shout out to Mer- love you, Robin, merch, merch, merch woman, Robin. She is the greatest. Works for Cannibal, true and lifer. Everybody. She was helping us out, and the thing is, we didn't have a one of the things that we screwed up is we didn't have a merch tent with like yeah. our name on it. So literally we weren't selling much merch because we Nobody knew where to go. <laughs> yeah. And it was, and it, I mean, we were, I remember we were like in debt to our merch company. So we, we had trouble like getting merch fronted to us. It was everything Tough. you could, you could think of, you know, and that's really from the management side. And when I say management, I don't just mean the manager. I mean, just what you have to do to manage a, yes. a band and a, and a business, oh, you yeah. know, we had failed and i took it on myself that i had failed you know but again, but that's not fair to well, put but, the blame but, on well, yourself well but here's the thing i think in life the way you move forward and persevere is by saying uh i'm in control of xyz if you always if every time something goes wrong you just pull out the blame party then you're never going to be successful right. you know you got to say what could i have done better and take the l 
take the failure and say, okay, I'm going to learn from that. And next time I'm not going to do that yep. because when you're in it and it's, and that's where that, that tour was not that enjoyable for me because I was so stressed out, right? you know, that it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a rough one. And at the base of the end of that tour, <laughs> I, I broke up with my girlfriend or she broke up with me and I had like a meltdown and it was like, that was the beginning of, uh, of dark, <laughs> dark coil, the dark, the dark, the, the, the dark period days of, yeah, but. I, we all go through that, man, because it's like even now with Machine Head, me and Rob are like pretty much the same thing. Like he runs it all. Well, now, I mean, a lot of that bear, it, it, burden is on me. So we're control freaks. So we want the best things because it's like this is our passion. So it, it's, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, being that sixth member. And it's like every band that I work for now, it's like i don't know how it happens but it just naturally happens that it's like i'm not just the guy the sound guy yeah doing great sound is there but production managing you know and finding the right tools equipment wise and making sure the venues that you're playing like the traveling conditions picking everything that you could possibly imagine to make the band what it is it's like now it's on me and it all comes down to one thing and it's trust you know the proven factor is like the day in and day out you know that you can go up to a band and it's like it's unheard of i mean that's the success of my career is like i can take a band like machine head and i do whatever the fuck i want when i'm mixing and rob is the biggest control freak on the planet i mean what all the war stories and shit that you heard before like when i walked in that gig like he was very he knows what he wants like you have to have super thick skin and he heard my little mix one day on a play. He's just like, all right, whatever you say goes and walks away. And Dave and Phil are like, he's never said that to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I always fuck. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until you started mixing them um, that I really felt like this is where it's at, you know, and it, and it just kept getting better. Like the show yeah. I just saw. So I just saw the, the Burmaya show in Anaheim last week. And I mean, that's one of the best sounding mix I've ever heard any band thank you period like that shit was you know and i know that like those venues yeah. obviously sound great and you know that well, helps. you still gotta know what you're doing yeah you know? but it was but i'm saying i was like and it wasn't just me it was like everyone's like holy shit it sounds <laughs> so good man yeah, and it's uh it's a, and it's just it's awesome just to see bands have been around for a long time keep improving and i can yes. tell with you having seen the band at multiple times over mm-hmm. a course of however many years almost eight years now. you're constantly shit you know working on like it's like it's like a series it's of finite now. yeah just it's, yeah. It's, it's, like but th- it, that didn't happen overnight it took all those years to like hey let's try this let's work on this let's I, yeah this. it well it it kind of happened quick but over a long period of time I, yeah. that's funny what what i mean by that it's like we when i came in they were doing like the whole fractal thing everything and i'm just like well i do real amps like that's how i get my guitar tone like you're not going to get it out of some magic box so we went to real amps, but we did go keeping the cleans direct. So on the Mayhem Festival, it was a little tougher because we're playing the second stage. Shit wasn't the greatest and whatever. And again, that, I was that, that was that Jaeger stage, right? Yeah, the, the same the stage fucking piece, piece of shit. shit. Yeah, like even the first There's three like one, days. The Hot Topic stage is awesome, and then the fucking other yeah, stage but sucks. well on that tour, I mean, we had the equal production, so it was the same thing for the two. Was side it the same stages. PA? Yeah, the same. Are you sure? Because yeah. not on the tour we did. We, we had that. We had that. I think it was a. Is it PV? PV. Yeah, yeah. It's, they, no, they had a different PA on the other one. I, you know, but oh, I, but I, it. Trust me, it was not 
like the main stage. And we were actually supposed to be the main stage band. Like yeah. we were supposed to open and they had done that slot and they didn't want to do it. So we were like, Oh, right. they didn't want to like be like, yeah, because one, basically you're the fucking walk-in music for yeah, the ushers. Yeah. So by the time, oh, you're going to, you know, you're in row six, seat four. You know what I mean? Like they're bringing you down. People aren't just showing up. So yeah, by the I time know. you're done, there's still been nobody there. So we got to fucking play the second stage right before everything went inside. That was killer. So that was great. But again, I... I had the same microphones that I use with you guys on drums, the same microphones on guitar, the same microphones on vocals. Like those are my tools. And the mayhem, perfect example, like Joey, our manager, like scared the shit out of me. He was trying, he looks just like James Hetfield, by the way, people, I swear to God, they think he's James Hetfield. He's at shows and they're like, oh my God. But which, which era Hetfield? Currently? Current. Oh, okay. like, yeah, still like, it's so funny. Like people come up and think he's Hetfield. And, but anyways, he's a very intimidating guy. And we're on the bus. And he's telling me, you better not fuck this up. So we're going to the Mayhem show. And we're blowing tires on the fucking trailer. Like the like, beginning of the tour. Yeah, before we even get there for the pre-production day. You know, you get like an hour or two to do whatever. And that's it. Because they're not doing sound checks any day. Like once you do it, done. And it's the same thing. Because it's a digital console. So you're recalling it. We show up. We miss the fucking thing. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm like, this is going to be horrible. So I'm like, all right. Well, I use the same fucking mics with every band. So I pull my laptop out and load that the That was off. your first tour with him? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this, this gets better. So I'm like, fuck. So I pull out my laptop and I load, God forbid, files from this Avid console. And I'm like, okay, well, I use this on the kick drum. I use this on the snare, this on the toms. And I just put it in as a starting point. So Joey is standing literally in front of me. He's 6'3", he's tall dude, you know, and he's got his arms folded and stuff. Rob's family, Dave's family, like everybody, because we're in California. So all the people that know what Machine Head is supposed to sound like and whatever is in my fucking front of house booth. And I'm just like, God damn it. So the intro to Imperium is playing. And then the band kicks in and Joey immediately turns around and looks at me and goes, what the fuck? And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, I didn't think it was going to sound this good. I'm like, what? He goes, this is fucking killer. I straight up. And I was like, does this mean I get to keep my job? Cause he's like, don't get fucking cute because like he was just riding me. You can't fuck this up. Like putting the fear of death into me, like right there on the bus. And Dave's just like, I don't listen to him. Like, shut up, you know, but, uh, the next morning I played the tracks back to dial everything in a little bit more clearly. This is at nine in the morning and Dave McLean's comes running out of the fucking porta potty, the front of house. He's looking at me. He's looking up at the stage. There's not even a deck. Oh, you're there. playing the tracks back from the day oh, before. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, all right, I had a look. Cause I got to tune the PA each day at least because I was the headliner. It was like, all right, put some music into it for five, 10 minutes and cool. That was it. So I'm like, fuck it. Let me just play the track back. I needed to tweak a few things. Like I said, Dave comes front out of the port. He's like, who the fuck's playing my drums? And I'm like, that's you. He's like, what? So technology that you're able to play back the records from the, you know, the, the tracks from the day before the band now actually for the first time ever in their life Could gets hear. to be an audience member at their own show. Virtual sound check. Virtual sound check. So our bus is right behind the stage. So now here comes Jared, here comes Phil. And then finally Rob comes around. I'm like, oh fuck, here we go. And he comes in the front of the house and he's like, oh, push my guitar up a little bit. So he wanted to hear it a little bit in context. And then I put it back down. He was like, and that's when he made that comment, whatever you said goes. So it was really early on that I developed the sound for Machine Head. And then from there, like getting my own console and doing tours and stuff like that. It Yes, it makes my life easier, 
but the core sound has not changed. Yeah. You know, the effects and all that stuff that I'm doing is kind of now in the scene. So I'm just focused in on the mixing. I'm not using the automation to move faders or anything like that. It's just changing the delay times and the reverb types and all that stuff in the background. Just the bullshit I don't have to deal with and stuff like that. But I'm still very much in the moment. It's no autopilot bullshit by any means. So that's really what you're hearing is just that. But if I muted that shit, it's still heavy metal fucking thunder and lightning fucking metallic. Uh, it's kind of like a machine head. So with that thing. one, had they were still using fractals. No. Oh, so when I came before, in, you yeah, told the fractals me. were there just as the direct cleans. Gotcha. That was it. Okay. Because you can't EQ a heavy You just metal. told them, like, I use amps. I did. And they listened to you. When, when <laughs> I first met, well, I actually first met Rob Flynn with you at uh, PNC. Machine Head was playing. I think it was the Blackening Tour. I was working for you guys. We went to Philly to go watch them. And you and Rob were talking and I was there. And I ended up staying stage right on that fucking thing with Mudbilly and Corey. We were watching the show that night, but you and Rob were talking that night and you first had introduced me to him. That, not that he remembers well, that. You're welcome. All right. Yeah, Doc, everything comes full circle. Doc Quill changes lives. All right, guys. That's what that's what it is. But when he when I walked into their rehearsal, the first thing he said to me is like, What are you thinking about microphones for guitars? And I'm like, I took a second and I'm like, you know what? You called me for a reason. I have a sound, this is what you want. So I'm like, well, this is what I use on guitar. He's like, well, we use 57421. I'm like, yeah, I do that in the studio all day long. I said, but for live, this is what I use. I said, we'll try this. If you're not happy, then we can make the change. He said, okay. And I said it with confidence and conviction. You know, that's what really what it is. They gotta be confident, the trust thing. I keep saying that. And that's the same shit we're using every day. And you know what? I've been using it now for how many friggin' years? That same microphone. The actual microphone that you Are you, you still through. using the the Randall uh, ISOs? ISOs? No. I Where are those? Do they exist? They're, yeah, they're at my studio in New York that I'm never at. <laughs> I have the two of those in the base one. So, yeah. I They're great in the studio. I've See reamped that? some Il Nino records for, yeah. with it. Well, stuff. I still got the, the, I got the Torpedos and I don't, no, I don't need that need shit. It. Yeah. I love it. Fucking yeah. shout out to Two Notes. That's good stuff. That got got me a good deal on the Torpedo Live digital load box. Check it out for the guitar nerds out there. Um, I just want to. I just want to go back. Yeah, real quick because I wasn't actually finished. Kind of talking about the the savior part. It wasn't saying your doc fucking coil, even though that helped. Where <laughs> where Steve really saved the band yeah. was. So I went to this dark depression. Um, it was a real who am I moment, and you know because I think what happened was. Dallas quit the band, but we were on the road. I was grinding, trying to keep it all together, yeah. push it, push it forward. We had we were on some great tours, and you know we had a new record. And I wanted to promote all that, and it kind of all hit me, kind of the impact. And and I basically was like, it was around 2010. We did, uh, we went out with Five Finger, yeah, and then we did a tour with Kitty, you know. But and and pretty much after that had subsided. And and think about tours. Uh, is there great distractions? Totally. You know, you can kind of you, you play, you party, you can you can just kind of you know uh, you can kind of put life on pause to a certain degree. But eventually, you know, you go back and you they're pay, still there. Yeah, you got you got to pay the piper. And um, and basically, it was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, I really didn't. You know, so even though I, I quit the band in 2013, it was really 2010 where I, I for the first time in my life I was like, you checked out. Yeah, I, I was pretty much. You know, and I was at the, that's when I kind of started doing a side project with yep. Tommy and I was like kind of wait for that. 
my grandmother got sick and she passed away and I ended up moving out of the house. So it was like all these kind of like life. It was a, it was transition. <laughs> it was a lot of transition stuff, you know, but really it was between Matt Wicklin joining the band and him kind of coming in with a lot of fresh ideas yes. and creativity and positivity. And Steve, Steve yeah. essentially set up uh, a studio, uh, makeshift kind of studio rig in Byron's basement. Yeah. And we started writing and kind of doing demos and the and we made a was a three song demo? It was three or four. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. And so essentially we it was like, okay, you know what? I I decided I was like, you know what, let me I, you know, I, I ended up doing this thing with Tommy, those guys, it didn't work out. I came back uh to New Jersey and I was like, you know what, let me put yeah. let me put it back in this. Let's try and get yeah, we were like, that, that, that was pretty much the thing. It was like, he had all the ideas and I mean, a lot of fucking ideas. And I, I think this was the first time for you that you needed that break. We knew what you had going on and we kind of let you do that. So yeah. it was like, we got to do this, not just for yeah, God, You guys were working band, even without me. Exactly. They, and when that's what it was. We showed you like, look what we've been up to. Yeah. And, um, and that re-inspired you. Yeah. I mean, that, that was an inspiration, but just, you know, it was sometimes like you, when you're kind of on life support or you're you're just not all there, you just you need, you know, that level of, of investment. Like of I said, you didn't have to do that. But sometimes you have moments where someone believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. And that was the second time that actually happened. Because our old manager, the Rev, who was also on this podcast, he, I had a very similar moment around 2002 after, you know, we kind you know, where it's like they give you that speech you know like you can do it you can yeah. you know i believe in you all that stuff and it was and you weren't you didn't give me a speech at that moment but it was more like your actions totally were speaking kind of kind of louder than the words and so that demo that we did was what we actually used to get our record deal with victory yeah you know and that was really uh instrumental you know and so without steve there there probably is no equilibrium no. the last uh the last record and i just i just wanted to kind of tell that story because i think yeah. it was you know and, and he was there every step while we were and not getting paid go. yeah like, and that was it like again well, there was this, active, we were able to pay you some money once like we got afterwards, the record deal. right but yeah. i mean shit how you didn't know was yeah, that I know. but but, it, but again it didn't matter because i knew the band that had one more fucking record in, uh, you know in it for yeah. sure yeah. like i didn't want to see the way you guys were just going to walk away from it like or uh, you know no there was there was some new life and we did it and we went out we toured it and we had some fun like you said we did some great tours man and you know and then life just went somewhere else at yeah. that point. Well, it was, but we gave it a shot. Yeah. Well, that's but the, to me, the, sometimes I think, for at least the way I am, I'm really about if you make a commitment, you just you you finish the job exactly right, and whatever that commitment is, and it's like, could that uh, you know record cycle have gone on on a little longer? I think so. I do think mm -hmm. the band was actually kind of rebuilding some momentum. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're kind of a mid-level band, sometimes if you take a break between records, you have to kind of, yeah, you, have to, re to, you have to rebuild it a little bit. And that's where where we were at. Um, but it's just, things just, just hit it, hit ahead. But I, I do feel like I completed that. We did. That absolutely chapter of, of our lives, you know, to the, to the best of our ability. And, you know, and I, I, I don't look at, breakups whether it's with a girl or a band as necessarily a bad thing if you know i think 
everyone that was in that situation more or less developed into a better situation mm-hmm. than we were in at that time. You know what I'm saying? 15 years from when you guys started, man. Yeah. Like, and you guys all ended up being in different places at that point, at the end of that journey. And it's like, look at you now. Like, look at the other guy. Like, everybody went their own way. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've had... I've listened to a lot of these episodes. There's all that talk of when's, God forbid, going to come back. I yeah. see the interviews you did. That's still there. It's a potential. You never know, man. Like, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's it's something that I've, I've addressed on the show. Yeah, it it, it, it keeps coming up. And it's, you know, for me, it's all about if it makes sense great exactly. i'm not i'm not saying no i'm not like you know like I said i'll play you a god forbid right song right now because it's not like i yeah. never stop playing that stuff or it's not in my dna as a yeah as a musician or 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 a person um and, and it's obviously for me more important than everything is the relationships in, of the human beings of of the group yeah. you know which is like i said god forbid is not a band it's a family you it know is. you know and that's that's something that never goes goes away from you yeah you know and so you know and that's and that's kind of the the thing that's going to make that that distinguishes that among differently than anything else i've been involved in the music business because it truth be told it has become more business oh, for yeah. me um you know not and not in a neg- negative no, no, way no. it's just that's just what it is you that's can, the way the music business is now yeah absolutely yeah. and it's different you know and you have to adapt and roll you know and that's cool like we're the old school guys so we kind of gone through all this stuff and now we're reinventing the wheel with a lot of different things that we have to learn this is what makes money this is what the fans want this is how you do music and how you get it to the people and it's all different now it's fucking weird you know yeah well i mean but but for you i look at your trajectory right in that you were our our guy for x amount of time yeah and now your machine head guy who is a much bigger more successful band and is more stable right it's not like <laughs> well it's a loose term but <laughs> i mean yeah perhaps i should have couched that a little, little better i mean in terms of um their brand and yes. kind of as long as there's a will to want to do it as long as rob mm-hmm. is there um there's a there's an audience that is significant that is you know in the elite yeah when it comes to heavy music yeah but with the cliche of like oh you know you do the same show like for five people as you would for five hundred thousand people you know what i mean like and that's true and yeah i mean the the payoff is more bigger and stuff like that but you know or the failure could be bigger but i'm always taking the same approach i don't care about how big it is it's like my goal is i want to be able make machine head be machine head and give that every night day in and day out whether and rob's the same way like when we were talking off you know like about our production on this tour that production is matched to our european production like we were two weeks into the european portion of the burn my eyes and he's like that's what i want to bring over to the states and as the production manager for the band i'm just like Okay, that's going to be interesting because we book this tour based on our production from the last, like, what we use in America, stuff that we already own. And we didn't have, like, video crews and all this other stuff. So I'm trying to stuff an arena-sized fucking show into a fucking club every day. Yeah. is a challenge. But that's what we, we want to do. don't have pyro. <laughs> He wanted it. He he wanted it. And like, I told him it ain't going to happen. Well, but you can't do it in clubs. They won't that's the you. whole thing. And he couldn't get that. Like, And I'm like, unless you're doing the sheds or an arena, nobody's going to let you do it. Yeah, it's illegal. 
or well for various different reasons the venues didn't want it like yeah. you could like new york like they wouldn't let us do it because webster hall burnt down twice for, for that same shit you know so you could technically do it in some places but they just wouldn't allow you to or it would cost too much money with the permits because everything is even with five different. fingers some of the you know like a couple of venues that yeah, were they won't let you do it Three thousand seaters yeah, wouldn't even let you do it. So yeah, there's various reasons. Everybody has different laws and guidelines and restrictions. So to I wait, you know, not that it was a waste of time, but it was like, all right, we tried. You know, we were looking at maybe the bigger shows like the Foxes, the Oaklands, uh, you know, the Anaheim shows, the New York Cities, the big, big ones. You wanted to try to do that, but our goal is we. You know, even when we do the fly tours, like we're going to bring all of this shit to put on the big show. So that way it's fair for everybody. So it's a logistical nightmare for me, freighting gear all over the world and bringing all this stuff. Like it's so that way everybody. But they do have a, they have a B rig, right? Like a European rig. Yeah. It's the, it's the same gear. Like I rebuilt all the rigs and stuff with Bob Bradshaw. (laughs) Excuse me. So that way. So you're gonna spill all the uh, the, the the secrets? To, there's no secrets. To Rob's, I, the, the, there's a machine no. head sound though. Yeah, and everybody thinks the heads are modded. They're not. I see. Here's what I heard. All right. Oh, let's hear this. I'll dispel the myths. I heard that they actually use the the crunch tone. That it's not the or the it's it's like the clean. Yeah, yeah. the green channel. And that's what it is. And it's yeah. but with like a distortion pedal. Yeah, overdrive, a BBE, and an EQ. That's it. That's all it is. BB, see the BBE. That's see that. See everyone's using those back in the day, and everyone yeah. stopped. See, but again, like you see it in photos. He's constantly videoing, so it's not like. But it's the green channel. But so, but what's the distortion pedal? Just that just goes into the front. Which which one? It's the eight hundred eight. Ten, oh. and, 10 and 2, straight up the middle with the little guy. Oh, see? That's it. See, I didn't know that. It's basic. Everybody like like you everybody has that stuff, but the sound, right hand of Rob Flynn and yeah. a baritone guitar. Yeah. That's it. Oh, it is a baritone guitar. Yeah. It's a ESP? You said it's like no. a Frankenstein. No, it's uh that black one. This is funny. There's a photo of me and Kendrick just the other day when he came to the gig. It's it's a luthier, the guy that like made stuff for Epiphone, and he made like four guitars. I think it was two V's and two Explorers, and it's super light. But that thing just has this magic to it. Yeah, there's how, and it's got a fucking pick hole in it, dude. And he down like he's like my third favorite rhythm guitar player. I he's got it, and that's it. He is a fucking killer guitar player. Yeah, and, and he's gotten so much better. It's like if you go and watch, because what what the Bad Wolves like. Guys, we're, we're on tour. We'll just like go and watch like old Machine Head, Fear yeah. Factory, fucking White Zombie. We just love that shit. Just yeah. going back and watching like old shows from the '90s, and it's crazy because they would be like out of tune and like there's you know they uh-huh. the, they still have all the strings all loose <laughs> on the fucking you know on the guitars and it's and there's something really charming yeah. about it. Um, and it's well, be, a it's inspiring because it's like me being a Machine Head fan, and I didn't see them until the third album until right. uh uh what burning red so i didn't get to see him on the first two two albums when he had like cornrows and fucking they were looking all thugged out i didn't see him with logan at all until this last uh reunion show but um it's just it's so cool and and that's why rob personally has been like in, in, inspirational to me is like yeah you can be in your 40s and put the time in and 
like he went and got a, you know classical guitar lessons mm -hmm. and he took more vocal lessons and he started learning you know yep. and he became this you know because he always played leads but he became a much more dynamic lead guitar player and it's like he never stops growing you know and it's like for me it's like okay maybe i'm struggling i'm i'm you know this one lick or this one thing that's technical or technique wise i need to work on it's like yeah you can still do that there's there's no end to learning very you know? much like a gary holt who's my second favorite really yeah guitar. because you know and i've had these discussions with them because they're in the bay area so they would go and hang out at these shows these house parties and stuff like that because gary holt was the guy that they looked up to you know, so they wanted to be like that. Not only this killer rhythm player, but also could fucking pull out some insane lead shit. And so that, that helps a lot, you know, the Bay Area thing. And it's like when I was looking for the new, you know, the new uh, players for Machina, drummer and guitar player, when I was having these guitar players doing these videos, one of the big things that I was looking for was that Bay Area right hand. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean as a guitar oh, I, player. I, I, you know, and I'm a thrash metal guitar player yes, at my heart. Absolutely. You know? And nowadays, and again, I'm not knocking it, but like you see a lot of these guitar players, they're barely touching the strings. You know what I mean? Because they're playing through a Kemper or a Fractal. It's like, oh, I don't have to play really, really hard. And I'm like super finesse. And heavy metal, especially like Machine Head, is big, fat, and ugly. And it has to do with fucking being angry by beating the shit out of that fucking guitar and stringing it. You know, it's not, oh, I want perfect notes. I want your fucking pissed off, shitty life, your miserable attitude coming out of the guitar because you're not getting on that fucking stage if you're not pissed off. Yeah. Like, you have to sell it, not just play it. You gotta, this has to fucking be a part of you. And that's how it was with Vogue. So, but I wanna, I wanna talk about that just even before you found the the new guys, yeah. like so, obviously it was announced previously that um, you know Dave and Phil were were, were leaving the band, yeah. and I know that was like a rough time. I mean, Phil's oh my been God, Phil, yeah. they've both been pretty open about you know that it was like you know like a, it's like breaking up with a you're seeing another, you're still living in the same apartment for yeah. like a few months, you know, um, and how difficult that was, and and the tension and all right. that stuff. But um, you know when that was pretty much. When you knew they were leaving, did like the search already start? No. Or you were just like, let's do this, and then kind of then like, no. like I mean, it, was 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 uh, Rob just was he like depressed from all that stuff? Was he? No, actually, you know, like I again, I work with this guy, and I'm not. Like, we'll probably get him back on here. We're gonna get on, but it was. I felt so bad for Rob, and Rob, I have so he has strength and. He's like me, he kind of internalizes things, but Phil had quit, and then the next morning, Dave quit. And and they, so it wasn't coordinated no, amongst them. No, it just, it was, like, things were difficult. I mean, that's, it, you know, that's, everybody kind of knows that. Things were going on, and it just, it just kind of came to the thing. And I was like, oh my God, because, like, I had crew in the air. We were going out to make up all these dates that Rob had canceled because he was sick, and I'm going... And that was kind of it. I'm like, dude, like, I don't know what the future of Machine Head's gonna be for you, what you're gonna do. I'm like, but we should do this tour because we're making up all these shows. It was a bitch to make that routing happen again. Like, it was a lot of, we changed the entire schedule to go back 
just to make up these shows because we were supposed to do like Eastern Europe and Russia I think during that time yeah that was the plan and then do back to Europe again so we threw everything off and this could not have happened at the worst time and he had the one-two punch man and I just kind of like was like you know what you make your decision and it was quarter to 12 that Friday the next day it's like oh yeah tune into Facebook and I found out just like everybody else that watched that video live I didn't know what he was gonna do and he was like yeah we're gonna continue on and we're gonna do this tour and we did it and it was great that we did it I think it was very healthy um but he always continued to work so right after that like by the time we finished that tour, this was just at the early, we, the last show I think was like two days after November. We got back, it was the beginning of December, I'm packing the band down, I ended up leaving like a couple of days before New Year's. And two weeks, I fly to Nam, and that's when he called me and he's like, we're gonna go ahead and put the fucking burn my eyes thing together. And we went right back to work. And he, I don't think he grieved with it, and he's come to terms with it, and mm -hmm. it's healthy. Like he learned a lot about himself. Well, it seemed like that was the, the thing I noticed in the video, at least that he seemed very contrite where he was, where if he, he felt like he was communicating, well, clearly I, something I'm doing is yes. definitely, that is rubbing people, that people I'm close to the wrong way, the way they don't, that, that clearly some, there's some reflection I need to do on yeah, whatever. Yeah, internalized, that, and that's that, normal. Yeah, well, it's good. It's That's what you have to do. And I, right. and I, like I said, I'm. it's always tough for me when there are these band divorces because I'm friends with everybody. Right. Yeah. And I that's don't want to take sides. And I don't, like, even, like, you might, might listen to this and think I'm bullshit. No, I say like. Right. I don't wear like, oh, I like privately. I'm like, fuck that guy. You know, I love all the guys in the yes. band. Um, and I know when, when I see each of them, they're going to tell me their side of it. And I will empathize with that and listen to them and know that, you know, that's how they feel. And it's like, and, and it makes me feel bad because it's like, oh, if I'm, am I hanging yeah. with this guy? Is this guy going to think I'm being whatever? And because it's, they're all they're all my friends and i i don't yeah, we're like the kids in the divorce yeah and um yeah because i you know like i said i saw phil not that long ago i still text with dave you know and yeah. I, I just saw rob and so i you know i, I want to be friends with everyone and i want everyone to yeah you know, and it's not like that you yeah. know what i mean like it, it's not um you know it, it's look it's whatever it is and I mean, also yeah. another thing i'll say is with this show it's the x-men so when people quit a band, if I wanted to, I could be very exploited and be like, all right, yes. this is where you come to like talk shit after right. you quit a band. And it's like, I've kind of purposely not done that because uh, I'm too close to it. Yeah. Same thing. It's like Chris Adler leaves Lamb of God. It's like, could I have called, hey, Chris? No, because I'm, I'm too close but why to everyone. But why stir shit? I mean, there's plenty of well, media outlets and people that we know personally that do all that stuff. They're just my, the thing is, it's like, these are my friends first and foremost. Exactly. And, I, and it's like, if someone wants to come on the show and talk about stuff and, and get off their chest or kind of use the show as a platform, beautiful. Yes. Um, but in situations like that where I feel like, and, you know, because here's the thing. Every time someone quits a band or gets kicked out of a band, what you hear publicly is probably either not true or about 2% of what the real story is. Yep. And it's, you know, that shit is just not meant for like a public form format. Right. I, I agree. And, you know, and kind of to touch back on that, Rob has matured so much. Because like I said, when I was... When I first met them, everybody was like, yo, you got to have thick skin for this gig, man. Like Rob's very, he's grown so much as an adult, you know, 
All the guys. We all do. It's weird. And now he looks at things on both sides. It's not just, well, what I think is my band. You know what I mean? Like you said in the video, he was like, what did I do to push these guys away? Well, I mean, they listen, they stood out there. They're like, yeah, it became his thing, and he it became about what he was doing, and I and I can see that because I'm like I'm in a band yeah, where right. I'm in a band where I'm not the main guy, and I'm like, but you used to be, so it's a thing yes, for you. But yes, but here's the thing: when I was the main guy, or I, you know, I here's the thing: I never really viewed myself that way. It just kind of turned out that way. But when Matt came in and had a bunch of ideas, was I like, no man, this no. is my band. I'm not. I'm not a control freak like that. I'm really and it not. Really, and it and it. You know, I've been in. Like I've done some of the Machine Head records, and I've obviously been in the room, like with the writing and stuff. Yeah. It basically boils down to one thing. There's a bar, and it's like if if the music isn't there, it's not an ego thing. Like on the last record, a lot of those riffs are fills. Yeah. You know, it, it was never like no, no. Like I mean, I wasn't there for all of that. And I'm sure there's going to be like every fucking band has it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one guy's like, this is the fucking killer riff ever. And then the other guy's like, you're out of your fucking mind. That yeah. sucks. No, you're crazy. Well, you know, my, my going to fight for that. Here's thing. my viewpoint on it. If I come up with something and someone doesn't like it, then I don't want it on the record. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. Like, like it's yes. like everyone. And I don't even mean like if everyone likes it, but one person doesn't like it. You know, I, I just think, you know, you should have that that ability to say, "Hey, man!" Like I want everyone to be excited about the music yes. working on. And so, but it goes, it goes the same way. If I'm not like, dude, that's kind of whack. Then you should be like, well, I don't care. I fucking like it. You know? Yeah, but I don't think. See, with them, it was never. And I could be wrong. I mean, from what I've seen in my experience, it's like if something's not, they try it. You yeah. know, they're just like. The minute you hear the riff, it's like, no, it's it's not that type of situation. Yeah. Machine Head is lucky. They're very fortunate that they get to have time a little bit more than most bands. Like with their deadlines and stuff yeah. like that, it's a little bit more loose, you know, because Monty like understands that, you know, all right, this stuff's going to take time, you know. And Well, they make like epics. The records are big. Yeah, not always, you know, but. I, you know, the last two records, there were things were a lot more simplified for sure. Yeah. You know, I think the longest song on the one record was like seven minutes, but uh, you know, that's short for Well, them. I'm just saying, True. I listened to a, especially like the newer era of Machine Head. You know, you listen to one of the songs and you can tell there's, it's like a composition. It's mm-hmm. not just like, hey man, we jammed these two. It's like clearly they, there yeah. was so, a lot of work that went into totally. making that thing. Yeah, that's why I love working on Bloodstone because that stuff was so much more simple yeah. and to the point. Like, even is there anybody out there? Like, most people don't know. Like, I re- fucking did that whole thing. That that came up as a chorus idea. Uh, Rob was, he had an ear thing and, like, he couldn't fly for a while. And then we were coming home from Europe. So it was me and the four band dudes. We left Europe to go to JFK. I was going home for like two days or whatever because we were I was going back to San Francisco. So I find Rob at baggage claim and he's like, Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to fly back. And I was like, Well, I don't know what the fuck you're gonna do, dude. There's uh you got three thousand miles to go and we got like pre-production in three days. So uh oh, my dad's here. I'll see you later, you know. And he stayed in New York. He called me the next morning. What are you doing? I'm like, laundry. He's like, wanna hang out? I was like, Yeah, I'll hang out with Rob Flynn, not Rob Flynn Machine Head. What that means is, like, if it's just me and him, we're not going to, like, talk shop, you know? Yeah. So we did. We went out, went to Chris uh, Santos's place, you know, had an amazing dinner. Um, but he told me he had this idea for, is there anybody out there? And I was like, cool. 
So I fly out to fucking California two days later, and I get a phone call from him. Hey, grab all the gear. Let's start recording this new song. And I'm like, what new song? And he's like, there isn't going to be out there. I was like, it was an idea. Like, you didn't have anything. Like, drums? Like, what the what? And then the manager calls, and I had to go deal with something else, like with a fucked up carnet. But anyways, so we ended up going on the road and recording that shit on tour. And that song, it was just... We were we had all these ideas. It was going to be a radio song, and then he wanted to make it longer. And I'm like, dude, like radio has to be shorter, and you want to fucking double this and stretch this part out and have this heavy breakdown. I'm like, you're out of your mind. But you know, um, the songs usually just develop. Like he has these ideas, and as well as the other guys, and he they just go with them. They try things and they get experimental and. Uh, it's fun. I got to say, like, so I, I can't really say that it's Rob Flynn, like the solo. I didn't see it that way. I don't see it that way. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm I'm not in the position to really comment it from any, yeah. uh, you know, real educated point of view because I'm, I'm not there and really only the people yeah. who are involved really, really know. And so and every every situation is different. And there are, you know, many of them are contentious. That's just yeah. how it is. I think it is. I think there's a, you know, I always felt, at least with God forbid, that a lot of good stuff came out of the tension, mm -hmm. right? Like, so when this, this person disagrees and you kind of sometimes find some compromise, a lot of times that can make it more interesting. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, at least with me, it's like when I write something myself, it, you know, sometimes it feels a little sterile. Yes. And then, but then when you get someone else's flavor in there, then it becomes a little more exciting, more unpredictable, yeah. more, you know. Well, even for me, like when we did, is there anybody out there? Dude, we did that song for nine fucking months. Like, I'm like, we're beating the death that I, I literally told him right before we we're going back to Europe. I was like, I'm done. That's like, why I was like watching that away. that video for making him circling the drain. I'm like, did they make this one song for five months? Yeah, well, it, well, that was the thing when, when David, there was, that was one of those songs like Rob wanted to do like before Dave and Phil had quit. Yeah. They didn't really want to do music at the time. They were like burnt with the catharsis thing and it was. And they just didn't want to do that stuff. So Rob still had all of these ideas. And there's a lot of other songs that he's done that like that aren't released yet. And he just kept working on the music always. You know, he does not stop the creative process. Yeah. And that's really what it was. But but with there is there anybody out there, we all kind of got burnt of it. And then like when it was done, it was like, we're never playing this song live. Rob did. I didn't want to play it. The right the three other dudes didn't want to fucking play it. And then when we finally did fucking play the song live, holy shit, people want ape shit when we played it. And secondly, it's Machine Head's highest fucking streaming song. Yeah. And I'm just, I even talked about this the other day with Monty Cup. I never saw it happening. I really, but people went nuts. It has an energy when we play that song live. I'm not knocking the mix at all on the record, but it, again, it does, you listen to any Machine Head's fucking record. And you just been to well, the it's show. More, it's more hook driven. Yeah, but my point is, their... when you listen to the to the production on these records, it's great. But you come to a live show, I'm shitting on the records. Like sonically, I am making it huge, but not loud. Like people, that's the one thing I I love. Except the most. you did one. So Steve was mixing uh, uh, Napalm Death at Troubadour. And my, my girlfriend's ears are fucked up for two we, days. But you know, where we were, that You broke venue, my girlfriend, Steve. They wanted that. They want that. That's Napalm. They want it big and ugly. And I, there's a line, and those fans yell for it to be louder. Yeah. 
But with Machine Head, I'm not kidding you. The music is 100 dB, and then when the vocals are in, it's no, it was it was a good. I was actually really happy where it was like it wasn't right. offensively. It was, and everybody but it was says still that. really powerful. Right, I make it sound louder and bigger than what it really is because I have to do that a three and a half hour show, a 30 to 40 minute meet and greet. And in Europe, they have a lot of restrictions, right? Yeah, but yeah. that's the the biggest challenge as a sound guy is to make something sound loud at a low volume. Yeah. And that's not easy to do, especially with a heavy metal band, all those dynamics. Yeah. But that's what it is. It's like you listen to Machine Head Records. It's not big like the way I do it. And they've yet to like achieve that. And again, when we played fucking Is Everybody Out There live for the first time, I did. I went right into the dressing room at the end of it. And I was like, I was fucking wrong. Like I was wrong. And everybody else kind of like agreed to that too that the you were you were wrong that i didn't think it was gonna work live oh okay i just well not even just live i just didn't i just thought the song like wasn't like as strong as we you know they wanted it to be because like i said it nine months you beat the life out of it went through so many changes i'm like bands can do fucking nine records in nine months let alone fucking one song over nine months yeah it went through a lot of changes well and I felt like we beat the death out of it. <laughs> we did. Well, that that that's what happens when the uh, the, the the perfectionists go go overboard. But um, but anyway, yeah. speaking of, of spending not nine months on something, I, I feel like we've you know hit all the points I wanted to to, yeah. to hit, and I and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, yeah, man. Well, actually, one more thing before, yeah, I, before sure. I let you go, because like I said, there are people who listen to this who want to work with bands, who want to get on the road. Um, I mean, is there any? bit of advice you think you could give to people that yeah. are thinking about it? Yeah, I get this asked a lot when I go up here at a lot of colleges and do a different interviews. It's it's a different story for everybody how it gets in. If you want to do the audio thing, um, the two ways that I suggest is, you know, obviously kind of know what you're doing. Go down to your local venue, offer, you know, hey, I'll mic up drum kits. Like, I want to work, like kind of like an intern. Uh, then another way would be working for a sound company. But if you really want to be like an audio engineer and go on tour with bands, the best thing I suggest to you is you find the bands that are always playing the local shows. Be like, hey, you know, you're over at venue A to this Friday and then Saturday you're at venue B. Offer to mix those shows so that way you get into the venues, different mixing consoles, hearing different PA systems, you know, dealing with different house microphones and, and you cut your teeth that way. And, you know, that's pretty much probably going to be the way to do it like you know no one's going to want to just hire you onto a big tour not saying that it's impossible but that would be the best suggestion i would be start with your local bands and then go from there and because every gig i ever got was always people hearing me yeah going like holy fuck i want to sound like the, that. the one that's gig what it was always leads to the next gig Absolutely. if you're doing a good job <laughs> right yeah or you know you get hired you know the headline band fires their sound guy to hire you on. You know, that happens a lot. Yeah. Which is pretty weird. <laughs> I can tell you a story after the afterwards that you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's pretty funny that it happened the second time. But right on, Steve, man. I love you, man. Thanks for coming on the show, yeah, man. And I, it's, it's been fucking great. I'll tell Peace.
So that was the new Machine Head single entitled Circle of the Drain. Yeah, so talking to Steve just gave me a nice excuse to play that new jam. I, I like that song. It's a jammer. It's a rocker. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Steve. I told you we, you know, we went, we went deep. We we went in. You know, thank you to Steve. That was that was awesome. He he took the time out of his day, Ubered way across Los Angeles to come to my house to record that. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm telling you guys, if you get a chance to see Machine Head, uh, you will definitely appreciate how it sounds out front because Steve is really killing it and the band is firing on all cylinders. Uh yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm tired. You know, I've, I've been trying to squeeze a lot into just a few days. Um, yeah, the the wedding band show is at a place called the Senate in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's on March eighth, which is this Sunday. So I think tickets are still av- available. Um, but yeah, we're doing covers, we're doing metal songs, old rock songs, funk tunes. It's going to be a really, really special event, and I'm 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 really looking forward to it. But that'll be done. You know, that's like I leave in a couple of days to do go on that trip, and after that, I'm pretty wide open. So I'm definitely going to be grinding out the podcast. You will not have to wait another month for an episode um so i have i have some cool ones coming up and i'm definitely gonna really try and grind so that i can you know you gotta fill up the bank like when i'm home try and get a bunch of interviews and that way when i hit the road you know i have a little bit of a backlog and i'm gonna try and really do that especially in april i'm gonna hit the ground running uh but yeah uh, bad wolves announced a tour we're going out with hollywood undead doing a co-headline tour with them so it's a lot of like midwest stuff so it's not the tour isn't that long combined with some festivals rock rock Oklahoma and rock usa and we're actually going to do a festival with metallica so uh, check Bad Wolves Nation for that. I don't know if I talked about the Disturbed Stain Tour. I'm pretty sure I did, but that's on sale. That's all throughout the summer from July through September. Um, yeah, and that's selling like crazy. So, you know, we're going to be playing for a lot of people on that tour. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Not looking forward to the heat, but, uh, you know, because it's going to be extra hot and the sun's going to be in our eyeballs. And that's, that's, that's no kind of fun, but it's going to be great playing in front of the thousands. Anyway, guys, I'm going to get going. I'm tired. I got a lot to do, and I I just love you guys, and I missed you. Believe it or not, I have missed you. I hope you've missed me and my annoying voice. Anyway, Mamba. Actually, actually, one other thing talked about. Actually, I have to to talk about this. Um, Since I last done the show, Kobe Bryant has passed away, and, uh, you know, my, you know, people don't know my, my sign out, Mamba out is actually, uh, that's what Kobe said in his last game. He gave a little speech at the end of the game. He said, Mamba out, and he dropped, and he dropped the mic. So I got I to gotta give some love uh, to Kobe and his daughter and everyone who died in that, um, that, that helicopter crash. It was really rough for me. You know, he is, I think, maybe one or two years older than me. I was, he was in high school when I was in high school. He was, you know, I was playing basketball when he was, you know, one state over, and I would hear about him when I was still in high school and, kind of my adult life kind of went parallel with Kobe. So it's kind of like you feel like you, you know someone. Of course you don't. Um, but that was pretty devastating. We we lost a lot of people in the last, you know, month while we were in Europe. Uh, we lost Diego from Volumes, uh, Joe Payne, who played bass in Divine Heresy, um, and a good friend of the metal scene, um, Amy Hardwick. I'm sure you guys have seen uh, me post stuff about that. And, uh, you know, it's it's been... You know, she was murdered, you know, uh, 
in a really horrific way by a terrible, terrible person. So it's a, there's been a lot of loss, you know, uh, 2020, you know, between all this stuff and coronavirus and, you know, you know, elections tearing us apart and stuff. There's a, there's a lot going on. So, uh, you know, just try and appreciate the time you have and, and hug the people you love close. And, you know, I don't really have any <laughs> words of wisdom, but I, I just thought it was worth mentioning, you know, because it, when I say mob out, it's going to mean that much even more. So love you guys. Mamba out. Shout out to Kobe. radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.